Let us pray. Our most gracious Father, draw near with your Spirit and fill us and revive us. We thank you for being able to gather once more together in this, in this room. Though a building is not necessary for your people yet, it gives us a place where we know that we can come together to worship you, Father, to worship your Son and to worship the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you and rejoice that we can begin gathering together once more in small groups to worship physically with one another. So bless our time of worship and bless your word and fill us with your truth that we might follow after you all the days of our lives. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. It's good, isn't it? To gather, to physically get to be in one place together. After many weeks of being separated, of not getting to see one another in worship in church, but only worshiping with our family groups, with our families together, it's still corporate worship, it's still a gathering in your homes, but there is something especially sweet and glorious about getting together with others in the faith, with fellow believers and worshiping alongside them to worship together. And there's another important aspect of that. Being with other believers helps to draw us nearer to God. It helps to draw us nearer and to realize our faith more deeply. It helps us to embrace, I think, the words of Rich Mullins. In one of his songs, he said, And I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. That was part of a song Rich Mullins sort of wrote called Creed. I say sort of wrote because Creed is a song that just simply puts the Apostles' Creed to music. He changes a word here and there to make the melody to fit a little bit better with it, but it's still in its essence is just simply the Apostles' Creed put to music, and he adds this chorus, I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it, no, it is making me. He released it on his album, a Liturgy, A Legacy, and a Ragamuffin Band, if you want to look up the album it came from. But it sums up the reality of this creed, and it sums up what happens when we gather as the church. The church, the people of God, all in one room together, helps us to believe. And what we believe is changing us. We don't make it, it makes us. Everything that we do turns on our faith and turns on what Scripture reveals to us, but especially what it reveals to us about God, how God has revealed himself to us, that he hasn't revealed himself as a singular being, as a singular person up in heaven glaring down at us, judging us, condemning us for our sins. No, Scripture reveals that God is a trinity. It's a fancy word. All it means is tri-unity. It means three in oneness, one in three. This is the truth that Scripture reveals to us. This is who God is. This is something that makes Christianity itself utterly unique and different from all other religions in the world. All other religions are either radically monotheistic, where God is a single being, yes, and a single essence, or a single person. There is no differentiation, no distinction within the divinity of God. He is one person, 
before his creation. Or there's a pantheon of various kinds of gods all around the world, all around reality. Gods that should be worshipped in one way or another, appeased and appealed to. We can think of Greek and Roman divinities. Think of all the Greek and Roman religions, all the other world religions. So many world religions turn on the idea of polytheism, it's called, multiple gods. But then we come to Christianity where it says there is one God, and yet he is three persons. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are equal in their Godhead, equal in their divinity, equal in their eternity, equal in their power. But they are one God, desiring to accomplish the Father's will, the Son's will, the Holy Spirit's will, for it is one will, for it is for we worship one God. And Scripture is replete with this idea of this one God in three persons. It finally is fully revealed in the New Testament when we see Jesus' baptism. It's fully revealed when we hear the accounts of Jesus' birth, of his conception of the Father sending Gabriel to speak to Mary to bless her, to tell her that the Holy Spirit will cause her to conceive a child and his will be the Son of God. We see it in so many other places in the epistles and throughout the Acts of the Apostles. The Gospels reveal to us, the Scriptures reveal to us that God is one person, one being, yet three persons. And it took the church hundreds of years to really hammer down what this meant for us. Some of our earliest church fathers, as they speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they say a few things that we would look back and be like, that's not a good way of understanding the Trinity. But they were grasping, they were recognizing this reality, that these three persons were equally divine, that they were equally eternal, that they, had equal, they were equally God himself, mysteriously in three persons. And our creeds are hammered out and written to reflect that reality. The Nicene Creed that we always say when we celebrate the Eucharist, it is more specific than the Apostles' Creed in its language. Another creed, the Athanasian Creed, is even more specific. We said that one a couple of Trinity Sundays ago, and it's about a six-minute creed to say it. But it carefully walks through each thing that it wants us to understand about who God is, about who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is. And it's a glorious creed to look up and to read. It's a hard creed to read because it's so much information about God. But the main crux of it is, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in all things. They are equal to one another for they are all fully God. But today I want us to walk through a little bit of the Apostles' Creed briefly, just to hear how it speaks of God and to relate how it reveals to us the Trinity, how it reveals to us that God is triune, that it is calling us to believe in each of these persons as fully God, and yet one God. This Creed reveals to us who our God is and what He has done. And so the very first line I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. That is, we believe in the first person of the Trinity, right? We believe that it is his primary work to create, to bring about redemption. He is the Almighty One. So it's not just creation itself that he makes, but he also plans and moves forward 
in redemption, for he is almighty, he is all-powerful. Everything that exists in this universe is because of his work, because he is the maker of all things. And that's why we read Genesis 1 this morning. You may have been squirming in your seats at home a little bit, or even here in the chapel to, to, to listen and to hear the entirety of that chapter. Especially if you weren't prepared to hear that long chapter read, to hear about how God created each thing, how he simply spoke each aspect of this creation into being. But in the very first verse of that chapter, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's something special in the Hebrew there. The word we translate as God is really a plural word that is often translated as gods. That seems kind of strange. That one of the first references to God is done in the plural. But then the verb that controls that noun is singular. The verb is a singular verb, but yet the subject of that verb is plural. How does that work? I think many commentators, many writers have recognized that that verb controls how we understand that noun, that subject, that it won't be translated as God's, but is translated simply as God. But it gives us a hint there at the very beginning that there's something complex about our God, that he's not just some monad up above all creation that suddenly one day decides to create, but that he is somehow complex, somehow more than we can understand. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake that is recorded that way. And even more so, as we get near the end of that chapter, after we hear about all of God's great acts, we then see that God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Here again, God's, here God speaks of himself in the plural. He speaks of himself, let us. We know that this isn't a reference to, the angel, to some angelic counsel being with God, helping him do, work out creation. Because scripture never speaks of God of us being made in the image of angels. It only speaks of us being made in the image of God. The angels are not in the image of God. They are pure spirits that are God's servants. Never in Scripture are they referred to as being in the image of God. And so here with that statement, let us make, we hear an echo, we hear a sound of more complexity. That God thinks of himself and speaks of himself in the plural. Something we can't grasp with that complex nature. But it tells us that God is complex, that he is one who is many in some way. And that's a glorious thing because if he's not one in many, if he's not one God with three persons, then creation doesn't happen. Redemption doesn't happen. Because why would God, because if God was one, why would he bother creating? What would be the need for his creation? He has no need for creation, even as three persons. But a singular monadic being would have no concept of community, would have no concept of being with another. But yet in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they act and they create all of the universe in order to share the community, to share the love that exists within. Love doesn't exist in a singular personal God, in a single person God. After all, we all know that if you love yourself to the extent that we know God has love, a human being would be conceited in that. 
It's an imperfect kind of love to only love oneself and to love no other. And so for God, he is a trinity that loves one another. Those three persons have from eternity past loved one another. And out of that overflow of love, creation happens. God chooses to create in order to share his love. To share that which exists within his essence, with his creation. And so all three persons are active in creation. But we often think of it primarily being the father who is the main actor. But scripture reminds us that creation is done by the father through the son. The father is the primary actor with the son being the one through whom he acts, through whom he brings about creation. We can't fully fathom everything here. But we know that God the father almighty is the creator of heavens and earth of all things. And now that he does send his son. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. To declare Jesus Lord is to declare him God, according to Scripture. In the Old Testament, when it was translated from Hebrew into Greek, the divine name was translated as Kyrios, Lord. Every reference to Yahweh in the Old Testament was changed to Kyrios, Lord. And so especially when we see references to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's lifting Jesus up and saying that he is equal with God the Father. He is equal to God when the New Testament refers to Jesus as Lord. It's a declaration that he is God himself. It's mysterious how this works, but yet the interpreters and our first writers after Scripture, our first fathers after Scripture, saw this reality that Jesus is God. He is worshipped as God. He is understood as God in the Scriptures. And so we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, mysteriously one with the Father, but yet distinct, as He so often says in the Gospel of John. I and the Father are one, but yet the Father is greater than I. There is a mystery here that is part and parcel of the Incarnation. But it brings us nearer to God himself, to his love for us, as he pours out that love upon us through Jesus, uniting us to him. Because he is the one who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's born of the Virgin Mary that he might be truly man. The Holy Spirit causes him to be conceived, the Son to be conceived and become a man. To be born of Mary, to suffer under Pontius Pilate, to be crucified, to die and to be buried to rise again and to ascend and then to sit down at the right hand of the Father, to sit down next to God, to sit down with his authority, to sit down as equal to God, for one to sit down by the king is to share in his authority, to share in who the king is, I think. And that's what we hear about in chapter 28 of Matthew. Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. He has received all authority in his humanity, in his suffering and dying and being raised. He becomes the glorious king of all creation. The son from eternity past, yes, was the creator and true, the king. And in his incarnation, he re-receives that in his humanity for our sake. He re-receives in himself that which was already his that then he ascends into heaven carrying that authority for us to the Father and sits with the Father in co-equal authority over all things as a man. 
And yet it's God himself. It's a glorious and beautiful thing to see the Trinity at work, to see our God working in himself to bring about our redemption. And that very same man who sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority is going to return and judge the world, the living and the dead. And he will judge it with righteousness, but also with mercy because he has died for us, that we might turn to him, that we might confess our sins, that we might draw near to him as our God, that we would rejoice in his goodness and his mercy for us. And finally, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Each of these sections of the creed, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ our Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're confessing equal belief to each of these persons. Thus the creed is declaring to us that each person is equally God and worthy of worship. And then the list of things that happen after the Holy Spirit. We say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Each of those things, each of those aspects that we are given of what we believe about the faith are things that the Holy Spirit accomplishes and brings about himself. These are the acts of the Holy Spirit. He causes the Holy Catholic Church to exist. He causes us to be able to commune with one another. He causes us to receive forgiveness of sins for our bodies to be resurrected for us to receive everlasting life. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about all of that that Christ has bought for us and won for us through his death and resurrection and ascension. The Holy Spirit, being God himself, brings about the work of God on earth and applies it to God's people to renew their hearts and their minds, to bring about fellowship amongst us, to bring about salvation within us, to make us holy, to make us sanctified, to make us righteous, to make us stand in God's presence, renewed people as renewed people. The Holy Spirit is equally God because he brings about all things that God has planned for us. He is the applier of all things that, re that relate to salvation. He is no mere force. He is not some empty thing, some power. He is a person himself. For after all, in 2 Corinthians, we hear there at the very end of that chapter, one of our benedictions that we use, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship. How can a power have fellowship? How can a force fellowship with others? But yet the Holy Spirit fellowships with us. He comes and dwells with us and fills us with the very presence of God. That we would know the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is continually at work in us, chipping away as we are brought more and more through confession and repentance into God's kingdom to receive the great benefits that Christ has won for us, the three persons of the Trinity working together for our salvation. In one sense, the Father planning, the Son accomplishing, and the Spirit applying. The salvation is a work of God himself. For alongside all three persons, there is a deep unity in their midst for they are one god and thus if one is working the others are there alongside working are there within 
penetrating the work that that one is doing. As the Holy Spirit is drawing near to us, the Father and the Son are drawn near to us in the presence of the Holy Spirit because they are one God. They share one essence and one being. And so as we draw near to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is drawing near with the, and the Father is drawing near as we draw near. For where one person of the Trinity is there, mysteriously the other persons are there in that one person. It's a strange, strange thing to understand, to even begin to penetrate our minds around. And we'll never fully understand until the day that we stand fully glorified in God's perfect presence. That while we know the Lord's presence here on earth, we are not standing in the consummated fullness of His presence. For when He returns, we will be finally completely in His presence and never be able to ignore that presence. For we will rejoice, we will have joy, we will praise and love Him in a way that we've never loved before. We'll rejoice in a way that we've never rejoiced before. For we will begin to finally get to understand better the love of God in Himself for us and how that love flows to us through Jesus and how it comes to us and is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And so all of our faith turns on the Trinity. Salvation does not happen unless God is a trinity of persons acting on our behalf, accomplishing our salvation, and applying our salvation. We don't fully grasp every aspect of the trinity. We have our written creeds. We have many commentaries. We have hundreds of books written about understanding the trinity. But we don't grasp it. We have language to help us describe the Trinity, of how God has revealed Himself as three persons and yet one God. And so we struggle to maintain our faith in this, but the Spirit lifts us that we would believe. And we confess it that we might continue believing. All of our confession is that we would believe and that that belief would make us who we're supposed to be. As we say this creed here in a minute, step into it and let it remake you. Let it speak to you the glories of who God is and lead us more deeply into praise and more deeply into prayer toward Him. For the Lord has drawn near to us and revealed Himself as a God of love, as a God of grace, as a God of mercy. Three persons with an eternal love overflowing onto us, calling us and drawing us. And so let us respond and let us turn and confess that we believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.